Hey, this is Greg Sanders. Thanks for listening today. It's our hope that this message will help you connect to God, grow in His Word, and serve the kingdom in a greater capacity. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. We're starting a new series today. I'm going to start it today and it'll take me um, a month or so to finish because we've got several good uh, different Sundays coming up next Sunday. Um, I normally don't announce in advance when we're having special guests joining us, but next Sunday we have a really special guest uh, because they're really not guests. Uh, our former youth pastors, current missionaries, Evan and Janelle Nesbitt, are going to be in, they're in the States and they're going to be in service with us next Sunday. So make sure you come ready to hear and receive from Evan and Janelle. That's going to be next, next Sunday, so that's exciting. I hear there's a football game tonight. Is that true? True? Only like 10 of you care. Awesome. I think that means we're a spiritual church when you shout louder about the Bible than you do this, the football game. That's exciting. Uh, but here's what I know about the Super Bowl tonight. That there will be 11 guys, I believe that's the right number, on one side of the ball and another on the other side. And they are going to... Uh, for the better part of probably three or four hours, they are going to struggle and strive to get the ball from where it is to their end. And they are going to uh, exercise a lot of brute force, a lot of practice skill, and even, even some high intellect to try to contend to get the ball even an inch or a foot at times makes the difference between winning and losing, victory and defeat, having an action figure based off your likeness or being forgotten about. They're going to be contending to win that game tonight, and all the spiritual people will be voting for my team that I'm going for, that I won't even bring it up tonight. But you know, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul says it like this. He said there's people that... They practice, they give a lot of effort, they try really hard, they spend their life to win a prize, to win a crown, to win a reward that's only going to last a moment. How many know that no matter who wins tonight, the glory of tonight's game is only going to last for a moment? Most of us are not sports enthusiasts to the point that we can tell you who won the 1987 Super Bowl or the 85 Super Bowl or the 65 Super Bowl. And someone's sitting in their seat right now thinking, is this person, is that person? If that's you, you're just weird. The rest of us don't know. But here's what I know. Paul says people in the world are striving to win a prize that will fade. But as God's people, did you know we're striving to win a prize that will never fade, will never be stolen, that will truly last through eternity? The, uh, the message I'm sharing today is simply entitled Contenders as a series. Today I'm talking about contending for your faith because every one of us in this room, we are a contender for God's blessing on our life. And if you are not contending for God's blessing and His favor and His will in your life, can I tell you, if you're not contending for it, you are losing it. We don't trip over and find ourselves smack dab in the middle of God's favor by accident. 
that happens because we contend for the things he calls us to contend for. And so the next few messages, uh, we're going to be looking through the book of Jude. And Jude teaches us to contend for three things. He teaches us, number one, to contend for the faith. The faith that God delivered us once and for all. The faith uh, that is based on God's truth in His Word that's been given to us that never changes and never has to be updated. is completely everything we need for life and godliness. That's what we're going to talk about contending for today. The next, uh, the next message we're talking about how you can contend for the promises of God for yourself. Sometimes we have not because we ask not and Jude challenges us to contend for God's very best. And then the third week, we're going to talk about how you can contend for others around you, lost people. And Jude, he starts, I'm going to uh, start in verse number three. Here's what he says. Dear friends, I had been eagerly planning to write to you about the salvation we all share. But now I find I must write about something else, urging you to defend the faith God has entrusted once for all time to his holy people. I say this because ungodly people have wormed their way into your churches saying that God's marvelous grace allows us to live immoral lives. The condemnation of such people was recorded long ago, for they have denied our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. So I want to remind you that even though you already know these things, that Jesus first rescued the nation of Israel from Egypt, but later destroyed those who did not remain faithful. And I remind you that the angels who did not stay within the limits of authority God gave them, but left the place where he belonged. God gave them, uh, God has kept them securely chained in prisons of darkness, waiting for the great day of judgment. Let's pray over this word today. Father, we love you. We thank you for who you are in our lives. We thank you for your goodness to us. I pray the next minutes of time you'll speak to us by your word and by your spirit, and that we will leave this place changed by your power and by your word. So, Father, just we give you permission, full permission to work in our hearts right now. Full permission to change our minds in any way it needs to be changed right now. So, Father, I pray you anoint me to speak above my own abilities the words of God, the words of God alone. Anoint our ears, our hearts, and our minds to hear and respond to what the Spirit of God would say. And everybody in the room said, amen. amen. If you've ever thought, why can't living for Jesus just be about cake and ice cream and hugging each other, and loving each other, and potluck dinners, and why can't we just talk about the good stuff? Why can't it just be like an everlasting love fest? Why can't, when we living for Jesus, be about smiles only? Why would it ever have to be about confronting sin, or having hard conversations, or making decisions that make us uncomfortable? Jude, I love the way that Jude opens his letter to us, because I felt the way he felt a lot. <coughs> he opens his letter in verse number three, he says this, I would rather write to you about something else. I'd rather talk about something else. I can't tell you how many times in preaching the last 20 plus years, 25 years I guess I've been preaching now, I can't tell you how many times I've walked to the pulpit and thought, man, I'd much rather talk about something else. And so if you've ever walked into church and you thought, man, I'd rather hear about something else. 
You're in good company. You're not a stranger. Sometimes I'd rather talk about different things. Sometimes you'd rather hear about different things. But how many believe we ought to hear what the Word says for us to hear, no matter what we feel? Paul says, I'd rather, or Jude says, I'd rather not talk about this, but I've got to talk to you about it. He says, we've got to contend for this life, for this thing called faith that's been, to, that's been delivered to us. Jesus freely gives us salvation. You don't have to work for it. You can't earn it. It's a free gift of God. But once you receive that free gift, you do have to contend to walk out the truth of God's Word as He reveals it to you. And giving, giving ground to God that once belonged to the enemy in your life, that doesn't happen... That doesn't happen easily. It takes us deciding we're going to fight for what the Lord talks about. And today there's a, lot of, there's a lot of pressure from the outside of churches. And there's a lot of pressure on the inside of churches. That sounds like this. It says, let's just focus on the popular part of Jesus. Let's just focus on the part of God's Word that makes us feel good and not the part of God's Word that makes us uncomfortable. Let's focus on the part of God's Word that we can all applaud and get behind that fits our perspective of the world, but let's, let's avoid any part of the gospel that, that challenges the way I'm thinking, that might change my life some bit that might make me stand against the flow of the crowd. Let's not talk about that. Let's just talk about the, the part of the, of the gospel that sounds good, that makes me feel good. Let's just change the gospel to fit me. I don't know if you know that, but that is a, a, a type of Christianity that's being propagated today. Do you realize that? Parents, do you realize that is the type of message that is being sent down the pipeline to your young people, whether they're 6 or 16 or 26? That for many people, the gospel of Jesus, the Bible, is just something that you pick and choose which part you believe. And whichever part you believe, that, that is the gospel according to certain people. And it's happening from churches. It's also happening from from platforms of fame, I read an article this week uh, that Taylor Swift, you know, the, the pop singer, had, had came out and said that she is a Christian and she follows God, but she does not follow the God of the Bible. And she's considered America's sweetheart. She's considered someone who was, has a spiritual, Christian spiritual background who's now being elevated. There are people, and I'm naming names today, not because I'm trying to pick on people, but because I'm tired of the enemy being using people's position as places to hide out and proclaiming this is normal. There's people, and I can't believe I'm saying this, because I grew up singing in church, El Shaddai, El Shaddai, in the 80s. A song made famous by Amy Grant, who's been a voice of staple Christian music for 
basically my entire life, who's now saying what the Bible calls evil is just fine. There's pastors on television like Andy Stanley, who has one of the greatest leadership minds in the nation, who has the personal ability to take a, a church from nothing to something who is wonderful, but the gospel he's preaching is not the gospel, friends. It's called another gospel because he has taken what the Word says is evil and he's calling it good. And the list could go on. I'm naming these lists because they've experienced they, they've elevated themselves the positions they're taking. I'm telling you, Jude says there's people who have, here's his word, they've wormed. They've wormed their way into churches. And they're calling what is evil good. And the next step is, is this. They call good evil. Both is happening. And, and I feel like that the Word of God in our lives is under attack. And it's not, it's not under attack just from culture. I mean, for me to say that culture is opposed to Christianity, biblical Christianity, for me to say that is, I mean, isn't that kind of redundant? When, I'm just naming names left and right today. When, when Disney has come out and said, we're going to make sure that a lead character of every movie from 2021 from now on, when Disney has said the, the lead character of every movie from now on is going to be LGBTQ and all those other letters. It's going to be one of those things. The lead in their movies. I'm not trying to impose my conviction upon you, but friends, if you're taking your kids to see these movies where the lead character... Is representing something that, that the Word of God has called evil, and you're spending your money on it. I mean, I just don't know how I can. What am I going to say to my daughter when she wonders, when she, when she sees that and understands dad paid for me to be exposed to that? Well, that's just where I live. You can live where you want to live. But, but, but Jude says. They're warm and they're, so, so we got culture attacking the church, and, and our, our response should be, well, duh, right? Duh. I mean, that's what they do. But then you got this other, and I'm going to use a word, then I'm going to say it doesn't exist. You got this other version of Christianity that's also eating away from it. And the truth is what, I like what Jude said. He said, we got to stand for the truth that's been delivered once and for all time. Jude didn't say that every 20 years we're going to have a council and change God's word to fit and to be updated on the word of God is alive, is active, is able to penetrate the bone from the more, is able to separate truth from, from fiction, is able to separate fact from what is false. That's what the word of God is. It's alive. You know, some people think that that scripture, the word of God is alive, means, well, the word of God is, is ever growing, which means it's ever changing which is a total misrepresentation of Scripture. No, the Word of God, what that means is it's active enough to do the needed work of God in your life today. So what should my response be? 
when I live in time such as these? What's my response as a pastor? What's your response as a parishioner? What's our response as parents or grandparents or students or kids? What's my response when I, when I live in a world where the gospel that I believe in, that I profess, is being attacked on every... It's like a 360-degree attack. Well, here's what Jude says. He says, number one, understand that contending for faith, for your faith, is an urgent matter. He said, I wanted to write to you about something else. I promised I would rather preach to you about something else. She says, I'd rather write to you about the great salvation that we share in Jesus. I'd rather talk to you. Let's talk about heaven. Let's talk about how God has redeemed our lives. Let's talk about how, how God has taken us from the pit of destruction and he's pl- planted our feet on a solid place. We have a hope and a future we didn't have before. It's wonderful. Living for God is the best way to live your life. Let's talk about that. Jude says, I would rather talk about that. I'd rather talk about the great salvation we have in Jesus. But instead, there, there's something a little bit more urgent and that is the fact that the enemy has wormed his way into the church and calling good what is evil and calling evil what is good and Paul uh, Jews not alone Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 he says people come to you they say they're from the Lord they say they're from Jesus And they have a different spirit, and they have a different gospel. And listen to these last few words. And you put up with it easily enough. Can I tell you, an eclectic gospel is not the gospel. You understand what eclectic means? I pull a little bit of this, and I pull a little bit of that. It doesn't really match, but I'm going to take some and keep some and dismiss some. It's just kind of eclectic. It doesn't really go together, but I, I like it all, so I'm going to embrace it all. Can I tell you, that's, that's what the writer meant when he says it's a different gospel. And the truth is, there is no such thing as versions of Christianity. It's either based on the Word of God or it's not. And there's voices inundating my life and yours every single day. So one, one advertiser said that most Americans receive between 6,000 and 10,000 messages a day between social media, um, what we read in books, what we watch on television. You are getting hammered with 10,000 messages a day. And I would... I would assume that most of them are not messages propagating the gospel of Jesus Christ. You have to be, you have to be strategic if those messages are being met with the message of Jesus. I would like just to ask you to take your temperature this morning. whether you want to think about it on a scale of 1 to 10, but how consistent are you in contending for the Word of God in your life every single day? Do we just accept what we hear as the truth? we just accept the direction of culture as the direction of our lives? Do we just assume that, well, since some... T- 
television guru or some YouTube guru said it, or even just because my pastor said it, it must be true? Are we getting to the Word? Because here's point number two this morning. You have to, Jude says we've got to learn to filter what we hear. Jude says there's people who are saying that God's marvelous grace, it allows you to live immoral lives. Can I just tell you, God's, there's no amount of God's grace that allows you to embrace immorality. A lot of people call that God's grace, but Titus said it like this. Titus says, the grace of God teaches us to say the biggest word in the world. You know what the word is? No. See, the grace of God doesn't just cover our sins. But the grace of God teaches us to say no. So if you are going to boldly say, oh, that's under grace. My sins are under grace. Can I tell you, the same grace of God that covers your sin is the same grace that will teach you to say no. Not make excuses. So you learn to filter what we hear. We got to have to understand just because something looks good doesn't mean it is good. Did you know you can, uh, you can buy testers for your water that you drink? And you can, like, take your bottle of water and put it in this tester, and it'll tell you whether there's, you know, a little bit of bacteria in that water or a lot of bacteria in the water, whether it's going to be okay or not so okay. And, and sometimes if you just take different tap water or different bottles of water, in the glass, it all looks the same. But once you test it, you realize it's vastly different. We can't just take in all the messages of the world because they look good, because they seem good, because they come from a trusted source. you got to test it and see. We would never do that in the physical. We would never take things in our bodies that were harmful for us in the physical. So why would we do it in the spiritual? My family and I, we were at, uh, we were at the Mexican places week eating, uh, eating lunch, and I'd order this wonderful plate of uh, fajitas, and I was about halfway through my plate of fajitas, and I was kind of looking out the, the window, and my daughter, who's right next to me, she just let out the biggest sneeze. And I, was, I wasn't looking. So, and the minute I turned back around, I suspected she had sneezed on my food, but I didn't know it, except for I turned back. And the minute I turned back, Megan looked at me. She goes, that just went all over your food. <laughs> and I was like, I mean, I was enjoying it so much. I told her, I said, if you wouldn't have told me that, I would have finished it and just hoping that it wasn't covered, anointed with, I'll stop, but you understand? And I'm going to tell you, I still, I still thought for a good 60 seconds, like, I mean, it was so good. In case you're wondering, I, I didn't. But what was tainted, but what was tainted, I didn't let in. Sometimes I fear we let in too much tainted stuff because it looks good, it smells good, feels good. 
20 years ago, we used to say things like this when it came to reading Christian literature. We would say things like this. We'd say, well, just read it, take it in, and spit out the bones. And I've said that several times. But, but nowadays, you have to be careful because it may not be bones you're spitting out. It may be poisonous lies of the enemy that are being elevated. Some of you say, man, I didn't come to church for this today. Well, welcome. <laughs> you got you to gotta feel, well, pastor, what in, the world, what, what in the world am I supposed to do? You know, Acts chapter 7, there's a group of people the Bible introduces us to. They were called Bereans. And the Bible says the Bereans were more noble than those at Thessalonica, which Paul had just came from visiting those in uh, Thessalonica to come, and, and, and now he's preaching, and he comes across this group of people called the Bereans, and it says they were no, more noble than those others because they heard what Paul was preaching, then they went home, and they aligned what Paul was saying from, scripture, from what he said in, the, in their meeting, and they aligned it with Scripture, and then decided from Scripture that what Paul was saying was the Word of God. They weren't hostile towards Paul. They weren't trying to undermine Paul. They just felt like it was their duty to hear what people were saying was the Word of God and back it up with the Word of God. And if the two didn't match, they rejected it. How simple is that? But I'm preaching something to you today that I don't hear anyone say from anywhere. We just, if it feels good, do it. If it sounds good, it must be true. But the Berean Jews teach us that it's not, I can't just go by what I like to hear. If it agrees with my upbringing or agrees with culture or agrees with my political position or agrees with what I want to hear, that doesn't matter. The, the truth test is does it agree with the Word of God? Because 2 Timothy tells us that the closer we get to the return of Jesus Christ, the more and more there are going to be people who heap together. They have itching ears and they, they, they want to hear the gospel, but they want to hear it from what they want to believe. And so they just gather people together. They'll tell us, just tell me what you want me to hear. Or just tell me what I want to hear. And the Bereans said, I don't want you to tell me what, what I want to hear. I want to know that what I'm hearing is the truth. I'm so thankful that the truth sets us free. Amen? But it's not just any truth that sets you free. Right? In today's world, we have my truth, your truth, the person down the street's truth, this religion's truth, that truth over there. We have like all these... You know, we have these conflicting truths. Not all truth sets you free. Some truths will lead you straight into bondage, unless it's the truth. Well, how do I know what the truth is? Well, that's the question Pilate didn't know uh, on the eve of the crucifixion either. He said, what is truth? Well, I'll tell you what truth is. Truth is what the gospel said. He came... The Word became flesh, 
and he made his dwelling among us. The truth has a name. It's called the Bible in his written form. His name is Jesus in the walking form. He's God the Father. He's the creator. He's the only one that possesses the real truth. And he's the only one that brings freedom that sets us free. So scripture must be You know what's so funny? In preparation for this message, I thought, this is so cut and dry, I'm going to be done in 10 minutes. And here we are. Point three. Scripture, therefore, Scripture must be the highest authority for the believer. Look at verse three. Defend the faith that God has entrusted once for how long? All time. For his holy people. The written word of God, listen, I believe this as sure as I'm standing here. The written word of God is more than enough to make every believer successful in their walk with Jesus. Second Timothy, Paul said that all scripture is God breathed and useful for instruction. That means I can't discard or ignore part of it because he said, all of it is God-breathed. That means if I ignore part of it, I'm ignoring what God said. And it says, so I can take it in because it's going to train me for righteousness and it's going to make me complete and equipped for every word of God, or every work of God. Romans chapter 15 says that everything that was written in our past has been written for our instruction so that through endurance and encouragement of scriptures we may have hope. You know, from time to time, I'll have someone tell me something like this. And I understand where they're coming from, but they'll say, you know, Pastor, I just, I just need a word from God. I just, I just need a fresh word from God. Like, I'm supposed to produce that. Well, I want to answer you for the next however long we know each other. If you want a fresh word from God, here, here's your fresh word. Read your Bible. It's full of fresh words. There's no stale words in God's word. If they're stale, it's because we're stale. But his words are fresh. Now, do I believe that God gives divine wisdom and words of knowledge and all those? Sure, absolutely. But all those things are secondary to what God's word says. His word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And well, 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 here's where I see a lot of people going wrong. When we elevate someone else's word above God's word, we are given authority that belongs to God to someone else. I want to beg you this morning, don't ever give authority to some man that only belongs to God. Amen? His word is our ultimate scripture. And I'd go a step further and say, here's point four this morning, stay away. So this word with me, stay away. Stay away from skewers of scripture. Megan was re reading my PowerPoint, correcting my grammar for me this morning, or I mean, this week, and uh, she, she read that word and she said, I just want you to know I had a really hard time with the word skewer. She said, I just kept on thinking of like 
you know, putting, you know, vegetables and meat cubes on kebabs and putting them, you know, but do you understand what a skewer is? A skewer is you take a picture and you, you skew it a little bit. You make the image that is plain and you skew it so it's not so plain. Verse number 8, Jude said there's, there's some who claim authority from their dreams, but they live immoral lives. They defy authority and they scoff at supernatural beings. Do I believe that there are false teachers out there today intentionally skewing the Word of God? A few. But more, I think there's a lot of false teachers who believe they are true teachers. But they, they've, they've allowed exceptions in their doctrine and exceptions in their preaching and they're skewing the Word of God. Jude gives us four, I'm going to hit these real quick, four traits of a false teacher. Number one, they claim their authority from dreams and encounters more than they claim their authority from Scripture. Number two, they preach one thing, but they practice another. They refuse to submit to any authority. And they claim power that only belongs to God. What do I do in this world that's trying to skew Scripture and contend with the faith Here's our last thing. Jude says, we got to personally establish a new spiritual culture. Verse number five says, I want to remind you that, all, that you already know these things, that Jesus rescued the nation of Israel from Egypt, but later he destroyed those who did not remain faithful. In other words, God brought some people out of slavery but even though they didn't physically go back to Egypt in their hearts and their minds and their attitudes, Egypt still lived in them. See, people, me, I receive the benefit or the consequence of responding or ignoring God's Word. In Luke chapter 11, I'll... I'll close with this. In Luke chapter 11, there's a, Jesus gives a teaching. He says, when an unclean spirit goes out of a man, it passes through waterless places seeking rest. And not finding one, it says, I'll return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds it swept and put in order. Then it goes and takes along seven other spirits more evil than itself. And they'll go and they'll live there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. What does that have to do with? with what we're talking about this morning, it's not enough for us to allow Jesus to cleanse us and set us free. We must then contend for the rule of Jesus to reign in our heart and reign in our life. It's not enough just to be thankful that God saved us and cleansed us. We can't live our lives as empty houses. Or the evil one is going to come back in over and over and over again. We've got to fill our hearts and fill our minds with the Word of God. We've got to contend for what God says to contend with. I was watching a uh, show this past week, and it, it showed this $10 million mansion that has been abandoned for six years. 
And in six years, the pool house, indoor pool house, is overgrown with shrubs and bushes. And just how six years of sitting there abandoned has, take what, has taken what was beautiful and made it repulsive. Can I tell you, that's what the enemy would love for you and I to just be empty houses. We let God set us free, we let Jesus set us free, but then we never really take in anything new. We never seek to grow in Him. We never seek to apply His Word to our heart. We never seek to to fill our lives with His Spirit. Listen, we have to be a people of belief, not a people of doubt. We have to be a people that rely on God's ability, His provision, and not our own way of doing things. I want to ask you about your heads this morning. I understand this has been a very, uh, perhaps, in-your-face kind of message this morning, but I hope that you have a heightened awareness that you and I are in a battle. There is someone contending for your heart and for your life. There is someone contending for your children. There is someone contending for your family. There is someone contending for your ministry. There is someone contending for your marriage. There is someone contending for the work of God that He has for you. There is someone contending for the plan of God that He has for you. And to not be aware of that is to live as an everyday victim to the plans of the enemy. Jude said, I'd rather write to you about something else, but I've got to tell you, there's people who are worming their way into your life, telling you a message that sounds godly, but it's godless. And they're trying to point you in a way that fulfills their plan and not God's plan. And Paul said, too often the people of God just hear it and accept it. But I believe the Holy Spirit of God is asking us to put the the litmus test to all that we hear and receive. Not to make us people who are gifted in the gift of suspicion. But people who are wise to understand that The ultimate authority in my life is not found in people. It's found in the Word of God. I'm going to let the Word of God be true. If every other person turns out to be a liar, then so be it. My, My faith, my house, my life is built on the Word of God. So this morning, man, we've had prayer for healing. We've had prayer for salvation. But today I want to... So this is not going to be a come forward time of conclusion I'm going to pray what we've been praying all year long God open our, open our eyes to see what's entering our life and if we have been if we've been entertaining wrong voices if we've been entertaining thoughts, processes, have truths that lead us further from God instead of closer to God. Lord, expose those to us personally. Lord, I know people can try to talk to us. A preacher can try to 
talk to us, but God, what we really need is we need you to talk to us. So I'm going to just close this service in a prayer like that. Father, I pray that you'll talk to us. God, we know that, that you are the only source of truth. You're the only source of salvation. We can't go around you. We can't go through somewhere else. We can't earn our way by our own goodness. Lord, our righteousness is like a filthy rag. But Lord, with you, we can have truth, and that truth produces freedom in your people. And I understand, Lord, that the enemy is always trying to lead us from freedom to bondage, and he does that by skewing the truth. So I pray right now that we would be like the Bereans in Acts 17, that we would we would measure everything we hear, everything we read, everything we watch, that claims to be of God, that we'll measure it through Scripture. I'm thankful, Holy Spirit, that you have a way of opening our eyes to Scripture to see what, what is said. And I pray that none of us would be ploys or pawns in the enemy schemes, but all of us would be mighty men and women of God who contend for the best things of God. Lord, my family is too valuable to not contend for them. Lord, your calling upon this church is too valuable for us not to contend for it. Lord, your plan for every person in the room is too high for us not to contend with for it. So God, I pray as people are examining their hearts, as they're inviting the Holy Spirit to speak to us on any of the doors we've opened wide to the voice of the enemy, God, just give them the boldness and the confidence to, to shut them down, to have the conversations that need to be had, to make the decisions that need to be decided on, to make the changes that need to be changed because, Lord, we don't want to please ourselves. We want to please you. And we don't want to lead ourselves astray. We want to follow you, the truth and righteousness. So, God, I just pray over the people today. God, I pray as they're making those decisions, they're examining as they're deciding to contend for the life that you have for them. God, I pray you will bless them in that endeavor. I pray you'll bless them and keep them. Let your face shine upon them. Give them peace. Give them joy. Lord, illuminate our steps as we follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're thankful for God's word today, would you give a hand clap this morning for his word? We love you, Lord. Amen. God bless you. Hey, we're so thankful you're part of the assembly. If you are a guest today, I'd love to greet you and meet you on your way out. Have a wonderful day. Thanks for being part of the assembly. Join us Wednesday night for midweek services, and we'll see you next Sunday. Hello, this is Greg Sanders, pastor of the assembly here in Cabot. I want to say thanks for listening today. If you are ever in the Cabot area, we'd love to have you join us for a service. For service times, check out our webpage at theassemblycabot.com. Thanks again for listening. We hope you have a great day and God bless.